I'm Will Young, and I have worked in several different job environments ranging from lawn care to corporate sales. I have graduated from Indiana Wesleyan University with two majors in marketing and administration, and you're listening to the Young Blooded Podcast, a 30-minute to one-hour audio experience teaching you how to start a side hustle or advance your career through actionable steps and real-life stories from experienced business owners and investors. Please enjoy the truths, mistakes, and laughs of the Young Blooded Podcast Experience. And here we are. I am here with Dan Farron. Um, he's a life coach and entrepreneur. I actually did one of his um, <clears throat> sessions, and me and him talked a lot. So I was able to learn a little bit more about how he does his whole life coaching thing and um, how he's kind of began his career. I learned a lot about him. He learned a lot about me. And I will be potentially using his services here in the near future, which I am super excited about. Um, now, as I talk to Dan, as him being a life coach and entrepreneur, I guess, what is just for the audience, what does that mean um, to you? Just at a quick, you know, your elevators pitch, I suppose. <laughs> so every life coach has, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. And it's, yeah. it's great to be here. And I, I really hope to add some value to people's lives today. Um, Every life coach has a niche, a group of people that they work with um, specifically, basically out of our own experience and education and knowledge and, and passions. My niche is to work with men specifically. Um, I like to say I help make life happen rather than just happening to them. Um, a lot of times we men have, when we're young, especially we have this bucket list. It's either written down on paper or it's written down on our heart things that we want to accomplish in our lives um, that we want to see happen. And as we get older, um, we have to get a job and then maybe there's a spouse or a partner and then along come kids. And then you're climbing the, the ladder at work and there's more obligations. The next thing you know, you're driving the soccer van and, and coaching little league and going to the school programs and those passions and desires and bucket list items kind of get pushed to the back burner and sometimes even forgotten. And next thing you know, you're 40 years old and you're coming in at night after a long day and all you have energy for is to sit down on the couch and watch TV for an hour before you fall asleep. And my goal is to help men discover their purpose and passion um, and create some action around that. You can have your bucket list and your life and your obligations and your responsibilities. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that to pursue your passions and to know why you're here on earth and, and what your purpose is, is only going to make all of those other things more valuable and more uh, impactful. So that's kind of what I do. Gotcha. A little long-winded there. That's awesome though. I love Sorry. it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I wouldn't be having you on the podcast if you weren't like that. Cause it's really nice. Sometimes I have people on that I'll be asking them maybe six, seven questions in a two minute span. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm running out of stuff to ask, but uh, so that's great. That's great. I love it. Um, so I know that you went to Indiana Wesleyan based on the questions you answered kind of beforehand. Very cool. Um, what, what years did you go there then? Um, I graduated with my undergraduate in 1994 and with my master's degree in counseling in 1999. Very cool. Very cool. So you're there for a little bit. Um, what was, what was uh, 10 years? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a small town to be living in for 10 years. Awesome. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I guess what's, what's one thing you liked, one thing you hated? Um, one thing I liked about my experience there was 
especially when I first went there in 1989 as a freshman, it was still small enough. I mean, it had only been Indiana Wesleyan University a few years before that it was Marion College and it was still small enough that you saw the same people every day walking across campus. You may not have known their name, but you, you knew you were part of a, co a community um, and it was really easy to get to know people. Um, and so the relationships that I developed there were, were important. There, there are people yet in my life that I, I communicate with and that I'm in touch with. And, um, and so that, that's really important. And I, and I just had some really great experiences. Yeah, I got an education, but I think beyond that is just the life growth and the knowledge and that I, that I experienced as a person. Um, honestly, I think one of the things that, I, that I didn't like, well, of course, you know, once in a while you find yourself on campus on a Friday night and all of your friends have gone home or they're out doing something and you find yourself, man, what am I going to do? And it's boring and everybody's out of the dorm and you're just, oh man, I got nothing to do. Um, but what I really honestly didn't like, and I'll, and I'll be real honest about this, it was after I graduated, like a month after graduation, we started getting letters from the alumni office asking for money. Jeez. I'm like, Dude, come Dude, on, we are this. paying <laughs> bills. Yeah. We are paying bills here. Chill out. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like we're not sending them money right after college anyway, because we're still all in college debt. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on that. I did receive those letters as well. Um, not, not the best image to, to be getting into there. But uh, but yeah, um, I, I feel you on that. A lot of the weekends I had to kind of pre-plan things like Tuesday, Wednesday, I'd shoot text to my friends. Hey, what are we doing? Because I got I had to get them excited before. I had to build that fire up for the weekend. Otherwise, they'd be gone, you know, so. I yeah. do. I do. I do feel you on that one. That hasn't changed. <laughs> um, but yeah, the community sense is really good there. And that's kind of one of the reasons I went when I toured. I just noticed that like people would walk by randomly and just see each other. And you knew like 60, 70 percent of the people by senior year it was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I really love that. I still have a lot of friends I communicate with there, too. And then I leverage a lot of relationships through the university as well, like this one and other people that I kind of met in passing, stuff like that. Yeah, so, I just met um, Wednesday evening. Um, I just met another alumni, came to a meeting that I hosted. As a matter of fact, somebody you know, Chris Anderson. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and we, we got to talk, told him I was going to do this podcast. And he's like, well, I know a guy in Texas and uh, podcasts. <laughs> and we got to talk. Oh, it's the same guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's a pretty cool guy, man. I, I did yeah. a session with him as well. <clears throat> and he helped me out, kind of plan stuff for the podcast. Cool. And I was like, I was telling him I was real afraid. I was like, look, man, I don't, I don't have a lot of equipment and all this kind of stuff. He's like, well, if you're audio only, you really just need a microphone that's really good. And other than that, I would say, you know, $5 pair of headphones and get started. And the, the worst thing that happens is you keep that equipment out around too long, right? And the best thing that happens is eventually after you get started, you, you know, film your first 10, 20 episodes, you start to upgrade and you start to log a lot more time into it and all sorts of things like that. And then you, you just grow and develop and if you don't get started sometimes later becomes never is what, what the one that really stuck with me. And uh, exactly. that's kind of what I've been telling my friends too. So we're actually looking to start another podcast on the side um, called overrated underrated. And that's going to be super fun, more of a casual, like social type thing, but uh, it'll just and, be cool. And that, that statement you just made later becomes never mm -hmm. that applies to entrepreneuring too. Oh yeah. 
yeah so i don't know maybe we can talk about that later too oh yeah oh yeah i'm sure we'll get into it um <laughs> uh, my second question would be your first favorite job when when i uh, asked you those questions beforehand is uh you're an outpatient mental health therapist in a community mental health center so first yeah. like what age were you when you first got that job and then what was what made it you know stand out to you so much I believe I was, I think it was, let me think. I was probably 29, okay. right out of college. And, and here, here's the thing, right out of, right out of grad school. Real I quick sent, before you start, sorry to interrupt, but 29, when you had your first favorite job, just for everybody else out there, including myself, it's not, yeah. doesn't always come right after college that you just like hop right into the dream, you know, and just start yeah. working. Sometimes you do stuff that you don't like to get to a point where you want to be. And that's, how and it that's is. not to say, that's not to say that like my first job out of college was as a youth pastor mm -hmm. at a church. And that was a, an excellent job. It wasn't my favorite. I, I, I never really thought about being a youth pastor, but that's what came to me. I mean, and it came to me. I was, Still in, in college, I had a semester left and, well, I know I was finishing up, but I wasn't going to, in, in December, but I wasn't going to walk until May. And a, a local pastor called me and said, I got your name from, you know, the, the department head, you know, would you be interested? Well, of course, I mean, if a job is coming looking for you, sure. So we looked into it and that's where I ended up. It was a great job and a wonderful church, um, but it wasn't my favorite. So yeah, sometimes you do take those jobs that, that you just need to take. Um, but uh, my, my first favorite job I, after graduation with my master's, I sent out 40 resumes across the country, mm. over 40 resumes, everywhere from Washington State to Michigan to Virginia, Tennessee, all, I mean, South, I wanted to move South. Um, <laughs> Ideally, I think right? Florida, <laughs> North Carolina. <clears throat> Um, I sent resumes to, to universities because I really wanted to work in a university mental health center, you know, counseling center. Um, and I ended up getting an interview at an inpatient mental health center in Indiana. And that's the only, well, it wasn't the only interview, but that's the only position that I was offered. Gotcha. Well, no, that's not true either. But it's the one that I decided was the right was the one. one yeah because the other one was in terror it was was there in marion <laughs> okay yeah want to move a little bit um, right <laughs> yeah yeah it was time um and several months later after i took that job that actual company went bankrupt and i had no job um anyway so I, it was probably it was several months later anyway before i got the job it i might have yeah I was at least 29 and um, it was an outpatient community mental health center. Um, a number of, of therapists, mm. psychologists, um, even a, a psychiatrist. And again, I was child and adolescent services. So mm. I'm working with, with children and teenagers. Um, and I think what made that my favorite job was um, the experience I got but then being in a place 
where I could learn from a psychiatrist, from, from psychologists, um, where I could, I felt like I had stepped into my profession. I yeah. was doing my thing, what I enjoyed doing. Yeah. And I, there was a sense of professionalism that came with it. And, um, and something you really kind of devoted about. hours to into college, right? And yes, yeah, absolutely. Of, you see that unfold yeah. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Would you unpack for me a little bit the how, how you gleaned information from those psychologists? Because I was going to ask that right after you were done talking was uh, um, what, what, what kind of information can you get from people like that within any job environment, right? But yeah. like, especially I understand those guys are super smart on that kind of stuff. With Within any organization, within any, any job that you have, there are people that know more than you do. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're the CEO, there's somebody out there that knows more than you do. Um, now, in, in, in that particular setting, um, because, I was un because I was unlicensed at that point, I had supervision with a psychiatrist, psychologist. I mean, I had a supervisor and weekly, we would, uh, weekly, bi-weekly, we would sit down and I would bring my caseload and we would talk through clients and, and, and what we were working with. Um, I would go, sometimes I would have a client that I knew saw the psychiatrist for medication management. And I would go and sit down with him just briefly and say, so this is what happened this week and this is what's going on. And I just want you to be aware of this because this, that, and the other. And he would say to me, Okay, so this is probably, he wasn't just, he was a great doctor. He wasn't just a guy that was writing prescriptions. He had a mind of a therapist. And so we could really dig into some things and, and just people that knew more than I did, people that had more experience than I did, people that I worked with, with other people that had, um, there was a lady that was getting her PhD in child and adolescent therapy, and she specialized in play therapy. I went and sat with her. Tell me how to do this. Um, As an adult, that's something we kind of lose. Is it not the, the play sensation of life? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we forget how to do that. And plus then there's the added, what's therapy about this? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, but just having conversations, we would have staff meetings where someone would present a case or present some learning that they had gained or whatever. And, and so there was always opportunity to learn. Another person was getting her PhD and she needed to practice giving the Rorschach inkblot test. And I sat down with her and did that. That was fun. Mm -hmm. um, but my, the point is, it was an environment where people were willing to share and, and teach and learn. And you may realize, you may discover that, that people in your facility wherever you're working are willing to share you just got to ask oh yeah you just got to sit down and say look i have this situation going on and i'm not sure how to handle it can you spare a few minutes you just got to ask and sometimes we have to swallow our pride to do that well and yeah 100 percent. a lot of times for me like when in sales and stuff like obviously there's a lot to be learned from the experienced salesman um when i first started working there i I would just try to research stuff on my own and figure it all out because i thought it was like soft to reach out and go you know but not only is it something that you can learn directly from and learn a lot quicker if you ask somebody else and learn directly for whatever you're trying to question, but also that people enjoy explaining stuff that they already know. Like, it's just like a cool thing that I can, you know, I can give information to someone else and have it be useful. Like that's a, that's a fun part of someone's day most of the time, you know, um, if you ask them questions. So yeah, definitely don't be afraid in any kind of work environment to be able to do that. Cause I think if, I think if you um, 
if you, if, if people, I mean, if you're coming to them as the, as the, um, the expert, they're the expert. Mm-hmm. People like that. It kind of rubs their, you know, strokes their ego a little bit. And, um, and people like that. Oh yeah. And so there's always an opportunity. There's always an opportunity, but, but the challenge is just don't settle. Realize you don't know it all. Mm-hmm. I think that goes us back far to college too. I filmed a solo podcast recently. Um, actually just put it out on Monday. So that's cool. Um, but cool. yeah, the, the, um, one of the things I was talking about is like how to, you know, gain knowledge in college and how to get kind of going on your careers type stuff before you graduate, which is something a lot of students I noticed and, and including myself didn't do a great job of. So one of the things was like interviewing your professors, not necessarily for a video content unless you want to, but just to be able to kind of glean information off them similar to like what we're talking about now with the job. And that's another thing professors love to do. And they also have a lot of really good guidance to give in whatever situation you're in, whether you're looking for a job or wanting to answer job, answer questions about your current job or internship, something like that. So again, even if you're in college, that's, you're not exempt from that ability to go ask your professors for, for help. Absolutely. I would echo that because at, at this point in my life, looking back, I would definitely say to younger listeners, you don't know what you don't know. And you are going to, you're going to be tempted to believe that the professors in your field of study are going to tell you everything you need to know for a career or exactly how it's going to be. Listen, they are not, they're there to teach. They're not thinking that, that for them, this is day in and day out. And ultimately what they are teaching you is the, the, college level this is the official way to do your job Mm -hmm. what you're going to realize is that when you get out in the world it is not always the official way Um, example when i you know in college in grad school i was taught you know about giving psychological assessments you should not give one if you have not been trained in it or taught how to read it or present it and and talk to you know and this this that and the other my first job at that inpatient place the psychologist the psychiatrist looked at me and said i want you to give this kid the zyboc the what? I had never even heard of it. It's a it's a, an assessment for OCD behavior in children. Okay. Yeah, the nurse will tell you where it is. What? So I had to go get this assessment that I had never heard of, figure out how to ask the kid these questions and and score it and and do all this. And I'm thinking I'm not supposed to be doing this. Yeah, yeah. Technically, <laughs> but there I am. And so college is not going to prepare you for situations like that. Just realize. So the yes. Figure out a list of questions and just sit down with your professors if you can or, or people in the business and ask questions. By the way, that solo episode that I released uh, this past Monday, which would have been February um, 21st, I believe, um, that has a list of questions to ask your professors linked in the show notes. Um, oh, good, that's something good, yeah. I added in that. So go ahead and check that out if you guys are you know, failing to come up with some, some good questions for your professors. But obviously coming up with them yourself is probably going to be best for you. Um, so within a life coach, like personal life coach, I guess, what's, what's the one thing that really drew you to that, that type of work? Um, I know that you kind of touched on it a bit at the beginning, but, um, just to get into it a little more and entrepreneurship, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so my, my purpose in life, as I have discovered it, the reason I am here is to help people live a more fulfilling life. Hmm. My, as I look back over my career and my life, 
what I have discovered is that I have I have been fulfilling that purpose in different ways. Um, as a as a youth pastor, pastor spiritually, I've been doing that. As a therapist, I have done that mentally and emotionally. Um, and now, as a, a life coach, I'm, I'm, it's the same thing. It's still a helping relationship. It is still helping people live a more fulfilling life. Um, the, the thing that drew me to life coaching is that, for example, in counseling, um, people come to a therapist when they are typically struggling with something. They're, they're kind of working from a deficit in their life. Mm. The therapist is there to help move them more toward ground zero to level level health so to speak move them pick them up and help them do better yeah they're all they're starting from a negative sort of nah, that's not the right word but from a deficit let's say which is why they're seeking out help just, right yeah yes yes yeah. a lot of times a therapist most of the time a therapist looks at uh, past life experiences to figure out why this is happening and help you work through those things. Therapy is wonderful. I have had therapists myself. I have been a therapist. I encourage it. I believe in it. The difference between counseling and life coaching is that people that come to a life coach are typically either doing, doing fine, they're doing well, or they're doing really well, and they just want to improve. They're sort yeah. of on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe they have some roadblocks or maybe they have some goals that they can't figure out how to get to or, or there's just something holding them back and they want to do better. In, in life coaching, we, we kind of look to the past a little bit, but with all, always with the, the focus of moving forward and looking forward. We're not going to dwell in the past the whole time. We're, we're moving forward and there's always some action. So what drew me to that is when a person comes to a counselor, let's say they're depressed, they come to the counselor and say, fix me. What's wrong? How do I handle this? Mm. You've got the answers. Tell me the answers. <laughs> and there's pressure to that. <laughs> um, but as a life coach, I don't have to have any answers. Yeah. I don't have to have any. A, a person, a, a chemical engineer could come to me and say, I want to make a new drug for cancer, but I, I just need to get started and I'm stuck. I don't have to know anything about chemical engineering. I help the client figure out the answers. I ask the right questions and help the client figure that out. I don't have to have any answers, which is great. Oh yeah. At the same time, I get the benefit of watching this person grow and expand and, and, and develop. And, and that's really, really rewarding for me. So that's and as a consequence of, of your, you know, assistance, right. Which is, right, I, exactly. I'd imagine very rewarding. And so, yeah. And so hanging out a shingle as a life coach is, is an entrepreneurial step. I mean, yes, there are organizations you can join. There are companies you can join that will, you know, um, get you clients. Um, they're going to take their cut. Um, but it, I mean, there are definitely challenges to being an entrepreneur in this business. And, and it's just mm -hmm. like any other you have to learn. Yeah, 100%. I um I was actually listening to a podcast with uh, I'm gonna butcher the name but Naval Ravikant he's a right. from another country anyway he's an entrepreneur as well he's he's worth about seventy million he's been on Joe Rogan all that good stuff um but anyway he was actually on Joe Rogan talking about happiness and mental happiness and kind of how that's acquired but along those lines he said a way that you can kind of make steps to get in that direction if you're not in a good place now is start to think what if 
the things that are going on in your life that aren't okay were actually your fault. Cause a lot of people kind of like to blame surrounding circumstances yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. So he said, just, just don't like pin yourself to every consequence, but say like, maybe, you know, something's happening in your life and you, you need to make sure that if it is your fault, how can you fix it? And just kind of getting in that mindset can really help to help, help to start restructuring your life in good ways. Um, oh, and now so, you're pushing my buttons. Yeah. yeah. So I was just, yeah, I was just going to say, what is, uh, yeah. can you get into that from a life coaching standpoint? Cause I, I so, just heard the clip and I want to know more about it. Yeah. I, I firmly believe that we, um, we create our, the, the future that we want. We're responsible for that. Mm. The, the problem is every one of us, every one of us has, uh, saboteurs in our head. And the, the first one that everyone has is the judge. Mm. We judge ourselves, you know, the circumstances, the, the situation happens and we, we try something and then we judge ourselves. Oh, such an idiot. How, why did I not do this? Or why did I do that? Or, you know, yeah, I'm our first phone succeed. call, you talked to me about that one specifically. Yeah. yeah. Or we judge others, man, they're such a klutz. If they would have just done it right, I wouldn't be having to do this. And, or we judge our circumstances, man, if I just had more money, or if I just had another opportunity, or if I could just, or why does this always happen to me? And that judge really can create a lot of negativity in our minds. And when we begin to think that way and have that kind of conversation with the judge and allow the judge to speak into our minds like that constantly, guess what? That's what we're going to see in the world. We're going to see negative things happening to us. We're going to see roadblocks getting thrown up. We're going to see people screwing up. We're going to see ourselves screwing up. And it's going to create a negative environment in our minds and in our presence and it's going to slow us down but his to his point you know we're taking responsibility what if what if this was something i did not in a negative sense like this is my fault but looking for the gift in every situation that's the opposite of the judge looking for the gift that's being very sage okay this was a difficult situation it didn't go the way i wanted to what's the gift what can i learn what did this create for me Okay, and that that automatically in our minds and in our spirits turns that from a negative, repressive kind of feeling to a, oh, okay, I can learn something. This is positive. This is good. I, it didn't come out the way I wanted it to, but I learned something, and next time I'll do better. It's a mind game. It's believing in yourself. It's looking for the positive, and because if, if you listen if you have that negative mindset, if the judge is coming at you and these other saboteurs are coming at you and that's what you allow to um, saturate your thoughts and your feelings, that's what you're going to look for. And opportunity could come and stand right in front of you and you will not see it because you are trained to see the negative. You are training yourself to see the limitations. Yes, this is a great opportunity, but I don't have, or I can't, or she won't, or that he won't, or this won't, or, and we'll stop ourselves. Yeah. That mindset will, the, the opportunity could be staring us right in the face, but if we get rid of that, if we take control of that and we begin to say, I, I can do this, it may be a challenge. There's a gift in it though. That's going to change what we see in the world. That's going to change what we're looking for in the yeah, world. Yeah. And when I first moved down here to Texas, I, I did full disclosure struggle with a little bit of mental uh, health ability, I guess, like just trying to stay healthy. Cause like 
I'm super extroverted, right? And when I first moved down here, obviously, when you move to a new state, you have a clean slate as far as social and friends go. And it took me a little bit to kind of get into that um, part of my life more. And that obviously played a heavy toll on, you know, how happy I was throughout the days and stuff like that. And I just, I, I never really thought of mental health as that crippling to myself, but man, it wiped me out. <laughs> it, yeah, it was tough. And it, it ruined my motivation. I could barely work, you know, 30 hours a week without feeling like I was just going to needed to sleep, you know, and it was, it was tough. Um, but yeah, after, after kind of engaging with the therapist a little bit and kind of getting back into the, the good mental health practices and being practicing, being thankful, I noticed that a lot of kind of our surroundings and how the world is portrayed to us is through what, what we think about on a day-to-day basis, kind of like what yep. you're saying. Right. Yep. And that it's it almost is like water like a neutral area is around us and we just have to make sure that the reflection is something we can can live with <laughs> right that that is a yeah. great illustration i love that and 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 to your point you mentioned gratitude oh yeah um big one for me i i I'll, i will admit when this was first presented to me and i was learning about this I, I, for most of my life, have been kind of a pessimist, but that's because of my saboteurs, and I have figured that out, and I am changing that. And when people started saying to me, you need to practice gratitude, and you need to posit- practice positive affirmations, it felt hokey. Me too. Yeah. It felt goofy. It felt inauthentic. It felt cheesy. And I thought, what's this going to do for me? But believe me, as I have practiced it, as I have practiced um being, you know, finding ways to be appreciative and things to be grateful for and speaking it out loud as I have practiced positive affirmations about myself, it changes the whole energy of who you are. It will change how you see the world and what's coming to you. And I, and, and so if, if anything, I would encourage your listeners to just trust me on that and try it. Think about, and it, you know, we think about, you know, well, being grateful. What can you be grateful for? Dude, be grateful you got out of bed this morning. Be grateful yeah. that the sun is shining. Be grateful that you have a car to drive. Be grateful for a phone call with a friend. Be grateful for the new shoes you just bought. Be grateful for the air you're breathing. Whatever. It doesn't have to be non-trivial. And that's kind of what I've learned. I, I Every morning, and this is one of those hokey things that I thought about at the beginning was hokey, but it turned out to be mega helpful in my perspective shaping. Um, is just writing down five things I'm grateful for in the morning. Don't put them in your phone. Don't think about them. Don't say them out loud. Write them down on a piece of paper in the morning before you kind of get into your whole day's routine. Um, And that has helped me just like when something does happen that would be normally frustrating for me, where can I find the good in this? Where's the positive, you know, where's the benefit that I draw? And um, just having that around, yeah, like I said, perspective shaping. It really helps Yes. Keep you in a good perspective throughout the day. Absolutely. And, and obviously there's still problems in a day and, and you get oh, frustrated sure. and stuff. Sure. <laughs> it definitely and does finding, help me. Finding the, finding the gift in a situation, because some situations are really hard. Some situations that we face, if it's in our business or relationships or life or whatever, they are really hard. Yeah. And so sometimes you do have to sit with them. Allow yourself to feel what you're feeling, but then say to yourself, what is the gift? What is the good thing in this? And you may have to sit with it for five, 10, 15 minutes Mm. before you come up with something, but what you can, what you come up with may be a small thing, but you still found the gift. Yeah. Hold on to that. That is the positive. That's moving you forward, not holding you back. Mm -hmm. 
Gotcha. That's, that's good stuff. I love that. Um, so this is kind of a podcast for people in their twenties, trying to, yes. you know, make money, entrepreneurship, all that good stuff. Um, within that, have you coached a couple of people that are within their twenties? I assume, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. What's, what's one of the, the first steps that you tell people in their twenties to work on, or maybe one of the biggest problems that people in their twenties have addressed to you that people can start working on that are listeners. Well, even people that aren't in their twenties, older, older people, there was a, I had a client that I think oh, yeah. was in his thirties, probably also an Indiana Wesleyan graduate oh, um, yeah. who has his own business as an entrepreneur. And he came to me because he, he wants his business to grow, but he knew if it's not, if it's going to grow, I have to get out of the way. I'm the roadblock. Mm. Um, and, and one of my other clients that is in his twenties, he's just like, I'm trying to, trying to get out there in the world. I'm trying to get the job. I'm trying to start my life. I'm just not sure how. Um, and I think, I think the biggest, yes, the biggest, the biggest roadblock that entrepreneurs have, even myself as a life coach at my age, I'm 50 years old, been at this a few years, but even any entrepreneur, I think the biggest roadblock that we face as entrepreneurs, um, no matter your age, is a belief in yourself. And that, and of course, you know, entrepreneur people will say, "Well, of course, I believe in myself. I wouldn't, I wouldn't start this business if I didn't believe in myself." Okay, right? Yes, yeah. You believe it, that you that you believe that you can, but. What about when it comes down to um, deciding how much you're going to charge? And when it comes to having the money conversation with a client, well, this is how much it costs. Are you going to be comfortable with that? Tough conversation, by the way, for those of you that aren't business owners quite yet. Very tough conversation. Oh, yeah. Very tough conversation. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And, uh, you know, just what do you really believe about yourself? Um, what do you believe about your, your possible, your, your possibilities, your future, your capabilities? Do you believe in your own worth? And, and sometimes that gets into more, you know, it, it moves out of the realm of business and into personal because I mean, you can't separate the two. You are who you are. Um, and so you, you have to begin to look, okay, what, what do I believe about myself? What is holding me back? What keeps me from making that phone call? I know I go to pick up the phone and I just have this pit in my stomach. What is that? What's that reservation? What's the hesitation about? Um, and you have to begin to look at those things. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, sometimes some personalities are not, do not lend themselves to, listen, I would never be a car salesman. I would never go to a work in a call center. I would never sell insurance. That is not my game. Not for most. It's not for most. <laughs> um, that takes a special kind of person. Yeah. It's not my personality. And sometimes we don't know. Like I said earlier, we don't know what we don't know. We're so used to how we think and live and act and respond to situations that a lot of times we're blind to how that's impacting our progress. And we oh, need yeah. 
we need somebody else to say, okay, well, this is what I see. This is what's going on. Have you looked at this? Have you challenged that? And that's, that's what I've had, had uh, the most success helping people. That's as a life coach. That's what I do is, is mm-hmm. point out blind spots and ask questions that challenge thinking to begin to think differently. But the biggest challenge is belief in yourself, this unshakable belief in yourself and where that comes from is knowing your values deep down inside. Now, when we, when we, when we talk about values, we think, well, you know, what's right and wrong, you know, and yes, those are values, but values more broadly are what's important to you. What do you have to have in your life to be fulfilled for life to feel like it's good. And if it's not there, something's off. So for me, one of my values is nature. I need to be around plants. I need to see birds. I need to hear the the water running across a Creek. I need to, you know, I need that. Yeah. Um, And so knowing what your values are, knowing your purpose, being very clear on those things. If you go into, if you start a business as an entrepreneur and you do not have a very solid foundation of what is important to you, what is the purpose of this business? Why am I doing this and not letting someone else do it? Why do I think I can do it better? Or what's my reason for wanting to be an entrepreneur? If you do not have a solid foundation of why, you have to start with your wife. That's not there. You are going to struggle. Your, your belief in yourself is going to waver. And, and that's why a lot of businesses fail. Oh, yeah. Because they don't have that foundation. you caught anything you want to know more about in this episode i am positive you can find it at anchor.com go ahead and search the young blooded podcast and then find the episode you want the show notes for the page also has links to all of my socials and websites where giveaways and fun updates will be happening until next week remember young bloods money in your 20s is knowledge for life